Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Today we have a special edition podcast. It's actually part, it's it's actually part of our overall study on the state of sales enablement and the program that, that we're doing that we've been sharing with you as, as listeners. So to remind everybody, our COVID-19 series started off with a panel and the panel conversation was with Dr. Howard Dover from the University of Texas, Dallas. We had Kanal Mehta who is a operations portfolio executive at TCV. And then we had Lindsey Gore, who's a enterprise sales executive to, to keep us honest. And in that, in that series, we ran into a pretty interesting conversation, which was around how are your companies going to react to all this COVID? And a discussion happened about, well, where's the state of sales enablement going to lead to? Well, that definitely was concerning. So what we did, Brian and I talked about it, and we decided that what we needed to do is do a study. So what we, what we put together was a survey and we wanted it to have more open-ended uh, answers rather than asking you know, direct questions that are you know, yes or no or things that you can measure, uh, partially because we're trying to reduce the sampling error bias. We're trying to uh, take different lenses and different tools so, you know, as, as former researchers to do it. Our goal was to get 50 responses uh, we thought that uh, setting our target as having 25 would be rich because this is much more um, qualitative than quantitative feedback. Uh, and that having 25 responses from sales enablement professionals about where the, they think the world's heading is great. Well, what did you do as Insider Nation? You gave us 70 responses within a week. So it's been difficult for those of us on our end, uh, Brian and I's end, formatting it. And then, of course, on our, our esteemed panelists end, which we're going to introduce here in a minute, sorting through all of your answers. And then as of today, so we had 70, 70 responses in one week. As of today, there are 95 responses to that start survey, which is incredible. So thank you so much for Insider Nation and also the sales enablement community. Now, as we've mentioned this issue about bias, we're very interested in figuring out what's really, really going on. So we started a guest analyst program. So this is something that you can't do at Forrester or uh, CSO Insights or, um, or Gartner. And really what we're doing is we're tapping the expertise of our listeners and people in the community. And I've reached out to people who've been in the space for at least 10 years to be able to see that. So I'm extremely excited with our, with our first batch. So what we did is with this guest analyst program, we've interviewed them. And really what I do is it's really hard for me, but I try as much as I can. And, you know, our panelists, you can tell me whether I did a good job of that or not. I just try to listen to what is on the minds of others without sharing my, my perspective. Then what we wanted to do is so that the rest of the community, our insider nation, can hear about these dialogues is pull together a panel. 
and I'm incredibly honored and excited to introduce everyone, our first panel, to share the findings of the findings, or <laughs> I don't even know what we'll call them. Maybe, maybe we'll do that. So joining me today is Josie Mashburn. So Josie has a background of running sales enablement at, at both Oracle and VMware, among other things. I, I met her actually as a panelist for a learning and development summit hmm, maybe two or three years ago. And since then, I've tracked her progress and, uh, uh, and has been excited to see that she's joining, joining the world of sales enablement expert, experts out there for hire. So welcome, Josie. Would you like to introduce yourself and, and give a little color to our audience? Hi, Scott. Thank you so much for having me on today. I really appreciate it. So I run a consulting firm called Sales Enablement Benchmark, where we help leaders improve sales performance. And it's interesting, whether you're a small startup or a very large organization, there are always areas of improvement that we can make in sales and, and in including sales enablement. So I'm very happy to have participated in the survey and have an opportunity to chat with you about it and the others today. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Thank you. So next up is, is Mike Kunkel. Uh, if you are on LinkedIn and you don't know who Mike Kunkel is, I don't believe that you're on LinkedIn. Um, Mike is very, very prolific in, in this space. He's been, he's been involved in sales enablement and um, uh, sales training since, since its inception. He's heavily involved in ATD and helping to build out that practice. He's developed his own methodology around sales enablement uh, that he calls the building blocks, which I'm sure we'll hear, hear about. And Mike and I met uh, at least eight years ago. I remember it was at a conference, uh, at, conference at Forrester. And um, Mike, take it away. T tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. Hey, Scott. And hi, everyone else. Uh, really pleased to be here, too. Um, appreciate the chance to talk about what's happening in the profession. Uh, yeah, I remember that uh, 2013 Forrester conference with you in the white lab coat, uh, <laughs> right? Being the uh, the simplest uh, that we possibly can be, but not as, not simpletons, right? So that that message stuck with me for many many years. So I am uh, I'm the VP of Sales Effectiveness Services for Sparks IQ, and we serve uh, wholesale distribution and manufacturing companies helping them with sales analytics like strategic pricing and uh, territory optimization, knowing which accounts to focus on, and then doing the diagnostics around sales effectiveness, uh, sales enablement to help them understand how to create a path forward to improve sales results. So that's a little about me. Excellent. And then uh, last but definitely not least is Tamara Shank. Tamara and I go way back. Uh, actually, she was a, a client of our uh, of us of mine when I was at, at Forrester and was uh, one of the leading members of that sales enablement leadership council uh, that we had uh, when she was working at T Systems and running a big sales enablement transfer transformation effort. You might know her today as uh, the, the sales enablement analyst with CSO Insights. So she's done a lot of work there. And she's uh, written one of the most formative books around the space. I could go on and on, and uh, Tamara and I go off can go off in a lot of different tangents. So I'm doing my best to keep it tight. Tamara, welcome, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Scott and everybody on the show. Very happy to be here. Um, yeah, so we go way back. I think a decade or so. Um, uh, I am now in the very interesting perspective of having 
done this in a leadership role for six years and also having looked at this for six years as an analyst and now focusing on helping sales enablement leaders to, to get this right, to create impact and also helping organizations to get better. So what I currently do for Showpad. Excellent. So let me just walk you through it through our audience. Here's the format that we're going to walk through. I have three open-ended questions that we're going to ask our panelists. My job is to, you know, to facilitate and get into answers. And then we're going to turn it over for Brian for a recap to close out. Brian, tell us about what, what you're going to do. And when you chime in, what's happening for our audience to follow along. Yeah, thanks. Uh, hey, everybody. Good to, good to be with you. I will be listening to everybody's comments. I may chime in seeking clarification. And at the end, I'll summarize what I'm hearing and make sure that our guest analysts agree with that. And from that, we'll be able to have clear takeaways from this discussion. Excellent. So let's get started with our panel. Question one, I'm gonna ask in order. So the first, uh, the first question is to Josie. And of course, every panelist will, will respond to it. Having looked at the survey findings, what are a few things that stood out for you? Scott, what really stood out for me as I was looking through the survey findings is um, the variation in answers. Um, there are answers that people gave that are from a thought leadership position. And then there are answers that people gave that were um, concerning. They seem to be uncomfortable in their role. They seem to be uncomfortable with the questions in some cases. And, and that's, that's concerning, especially in light of where we're at with the economy and the workforce right now. Excellent. So we're going to double back in this section and uh, have you have a chance, our, our panelists interact. Mike, what were your, uh, having looked at the survey, what are a few things that stood out for you? Well, one was that it seemed to indicate that people felt, as I do, that sales enablement has phenomenal potential. The concerning piece for me is that how many people recognize that we need to morph toward more of some of, somewhat of an internal consulting role and to be more results-oriented, to, to move the numbers, to do bottom line, to not just run initiatives. Um, now, it, that's a double-edged sword, right? It's great that people are recognizing that, but it's a problem that that's where we are largely. And the, the, the results range from highly tactical, or the, the answers to the questions rather, range from highly tactical to pretty strategic stuff. Um, so, you know, I think it, it came out a bit that organization leaders are tending to get in the way of those results or maybe getting in the way of us doing more internal consulting. Um, and it became clear to me that the that we at Sales Enablement need to be organization leaders ourselves, not not taking orders, um, you know, we're being whipping boys. So, you know, I saw some great potential in there, but some of those things really concerned me as well. Excellent. Thank you. And Tamara. Um, so what um, concerned me as well is the very broad variation of answers to every single question. So um, if you looked at the question from what is it? Yeah, we, we had answers from, 
very tactical up to an engine to drive transformation. Um, when we look at the shareholder question, that was for many people apparently uncomfortable to answer. And, and that means we basically don't know what to tell them what we have achieved. And also when it comes to how to look at it and what, what could have been asked in addition. So um, the, the very broad variety of very tactical steps to get things done, to get things off the checklist, um, up to how do we basically drive transformation in a bigger picture. So that tells us we have a lot of ideas out there. We have not a lot of clarity out there, and that's where we have to get to. So that's interesting. So Josie, back to you since you were the first in this segment. What are your reactions to hearing from your peers? I loved Mike describing it as internal consulting because in order for you to be effective in this role, there's so many partnerships that you have to create around the organization. There's so many partners that either help supply content and enablement strategies for you. There's partners that you need to work with to enable those teams as well. So I thought uh, the description around internal consulting was very interesting. Leaders getting in the way was the other comment that stood out to me because I think it is our best intentions to help. And that's why there's so many groups that jump in all over the place once they understand what enablement is and they want to be a me too in that. The problem is then we overload any of our customer-facing team members to, with too much information, too deep of content, not the right content for the right conversation, and we confuse them. So those are the two biggest things that stood out to, to me in um, the other conversations. Excellent. Thank you. That was great. How about you, Mike? What did you hear from your peers? Well, what I heard, interestingly, uh, since we're talking about how much variance there is in the survey results, what I heard across the three of us was alignment about some of the things that we liked and the concern. Yeah. So that was the thing that was the thing that really st struck me is that we tried to say it in different ways, but we were pretty much all saying the same things. Yeah, sorry to interject my I can't resist. That's exciting for me as well. What's really cool is each of you guys have different color, right? There's a texture that's different, but you're not different in terms of your observations. And I think that's the richness that we want to bring out in the rest of this call. Tamara, how about yourself? Yeah, very interesting um, to, to compare this. We come from different perspectives, but at the core, we come overall to, to the same observations regarding the survey. And um, it is, to me, a mirror to what sales enablement seems to be right now. It is a collaborative orchestrating element is what we need. It apparently leads to a lot of uncertainty and unclarity for many people in the space who have these roles. And uh, what I heard across some of these answers is a lot of helping here and helping there, but they're not having um, the right position to do that. So we can only help others with, if we are in a position of strength. And, and, and that's where we have to get to first to, to really get a lot of clarity and in a more strategic um, setup of enablement to be actually to be able to, to help others, uh, our internal and, and uh, customers and the outer customers. Excellent. So I'm going to zoom in now. We're going to go to our next question. Our next question, Mike, you're going to be our chair on this one. 
Uh, what was your favorite question and why? I think if I had to nail it down, right, because as I thought about this, there were a couple of things that leapt out at me, but I would focus in on what business is sales enablement. Because as, you know, we talked about the variance already of the answers, and I looked at the answers to that. It was everything from, like, we're DoorDash delivering stuff, <laughs> which, right, to to we are, we are management consultants, right? And I saw a pattern of management consulting come out there. I saw things like maximizing human potential, uh, mission control for a space launch, uh, I thought was a fascinating answer, right? You see a ton of professional development, professional services, uh, things came out, right? But it, it, again, it was all over the board from, you know, being a, a service business, uh, to being someone who should report directly to the head of sales as sort of the right-hand person or right arm of the sales leader, you know, to analogies with, with oil exploration and production, right, to try to find out where there was opportunity and run some key tests. And some of those got really exciting for me, right, because I'm a big believer in the consulting angle. I'm a big believer in diagnose first, then prescribe and I'm a big believer in systems thinking, and I saw some of those themes come out there. But again, what concerned me is that it was so all over the board with some of those you know, really cool thoughts about how I think sales enablement can help take our organizations forward in good times or difficult times like we're going through now. Uh, and then there were some things that were just so tactical about Things, I don't remember this one specifically, but I keep thinking every time I think sales enablement, I, I keep hearing people saying the simplest stuff like, you know, messaging, tools, technology, training, right, as opposed to how do we really get into our organization, figure out where we are, where we need to go next, what's going to close that gap, and how we're going to structure and support the organization to make that journey. And I saw all of that type of difference and variance in that one answer. We still can't really define really sales enablement, what we do and how we're going to make an impact. So there's so much there. If you follow our show, you're going to hear, this is Scott being incredibly restrained of not, because Mike gave some red meat for me to want to chime in and I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to ask Tamara, what was your favorite question and why? My favorite question was the shareholder question. So what would we write in a letter to the shareholders? Because it's uh, what I experienced in my um, own role. It is incredibly important to keep the senior executives and, and, and stakeholders involved and to keep them engaged. And this can only happen if you're really aligned to what they care about, to their goals, to the metrics they are measured on. And what I saw through the answers of the survey many, many people were extremely uncomfortable to answer this question. Others could not even understand this question, uh, which also tells us a lot um, about the big problem of how do we measure success in sales enablement. So while people know 
the names of tons of hundreds of thousands of KPIs, they can be measured. The question is what actually makes sense in a sales enablement context, um, what should be measured and how do we communicate success? That depends on maturity and where we are and what we do and what the goals are, but there, there is a big, big gap. And it, this came all together from me looking at this question and people really had a very hard time um, what to tell their shareholders, what they are doing, what they have achieved, where they need their help, um, and so on. So one thing that, Tamara, you and I both have been um, probably a little too pushy for, for, for the rest of our peers on is the need for a charter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can, you, can, can you expand a lot, uh, 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 you know, sort of connect the dots a little bit uh, yeah. why that the shareholder conversation is so important how it relates to why somebody needs to have a charter. Yeah. So in, in happy to do that. So a charter, you can also call it a business plan from ever likes this more. It, it doesn't matter. It simply is um, a, a business plan, a charter that tells um, the shareholders, your senior executive, this is the problem we have diagnosed. This is a problem the shareholders, senior executives agree on is the problem we want you sales enablement to solve. We connect the dots to the existing strategic initiatives to the strategic business goals and we also define how we measure success. And if we've done that bigger picture, then we actually break down, okay, what actually do we need to do in terms of providing content, messaging, tools, whatever it is to our audience. But also, and this is most of the time forgotten, how do we build the capabilities in, a, in the enablement team that we actually can do that? Then we need resources, we need investment, we put it on the roadmap, all these kind of things, we define the matrix. So this is what we mean with a charter. And the and, reason I wanted to ask that is because a charter is really the manifestation of mm-hmm. what uh, Mike was talking about, right? So Mike said, had all these observations and said, you know, it's really amazing that there isn't really definition. And I think part of what we've, what we've gotten to this space is we argue too much about the academic definition. Uh, and then as a result, because we're just arguing about it, we don't have clarity about what can answer the question, what business are you in, to Mike's point. So I'm trying to connect the dots in some terms, because I think another thing that, that's been clear is that a lot of the terms get mis- misunderstood. And I guess that's not uh, unreasonable for an emerging, uh, emerging profession. So moving now, so uh, Josie, you get to go last this time. So what was your favorite question and why? So there were a lot of questions that stood out to me, but my favorite one was the simple question of who is your customer? And it's so amazing when you look through the answers, we're all over the place in defining who our customer is. If you don't know who your customer is, how do you know what to do to support that customer? If you think about what a salesperson does, a salesperson clearly knows who their customer is. They know their territory. They know the accounts in their territory. They should be building a strategy around going after those accounts. And we should be supporting that. So um, when I look through the answers, people were saying everybody in the company to the executive suite, to the board, to (laughs) externally facing customers are my customer as a sales enablement leader. And so, I, you know, that's why that stands out to me, Scott, is that if I don't, can't break this all the way down to understanding who my customer is, I certainly can't build out, to uh, Tamara's point, the business plan to support those customers. So what's, to me, really exciting is, um, and I'm going to try to summarize this for, uh, for our audience. Here's what I heard. 
And I'm gonna I'm gonna put words in all you guys' mouth. Feel free to spit out what what doesn't fit. But uh, I heard Mike say, you know, take his favorite question was, so what business are we in? Let's get clear of what we're doing. Right. That's what I heard for I heard from Mike, and he gave really great color and context of saying, look how all over the place we are, guys. And these are these are perspectives that no one of us individually could see. Because how often do we go talk to each other about what business we're in? So I thought that was really great. And uh, Mike, I think you did a lot, really great job of giving a lot of color around that. Then we go to Tamara. Tamara, whom I can attest to because I have been in some of those meetings with her, dealing with uh, very strong appended exe- executives who literally won't listen. Uh, how imp- so I think there's a lot of, um, I feel like the need to get, get your back a little bit from some of those conversations. Why did she like the, what's the benefit or what, what would we say for our letter to shareholders, if you will? So what she's saying is uh, she's been on this um, kick. If you, if you read Tamara's work or hear Tamara about how important a charter is, there's a reason for it. It's because you have to be able to defend your work. And then what, when, we, when I hear Josie talk about it, Josie, you're, you're talking about, look, there's a lot of stakeholders uh, here that we all have to manage. And if we're not crystal clear, which of those stakeholders are in support of and which of those stakeholders are our customers, how in the world are we going to produce any results? So that's what I heard from you guys. What, what are your reactions from what you heard from each other? Uh, I'll start with you, Mike. Yeah, so uh, I was fascinated by the fact that uh, that all three of us picked my top three things, right? <laughs> yeah, and so and he didn't publish it, that it, out beforehand, by the way, guys. So no, right? So th- that that was the uh, same as the way that we all were aligned earlier. So probably no surprise. But I think the the thing that struck me about that is that all of these things that we mentioned bring clarity to how we need to then operate on a go-forward basis. And that's the that's a, was a critical takeaway for me, right? Who is her customer, right? What's the business? And the shareholder starts to get to what are the results that you're going to drive, and then after you do that, how will you communicate them and figure out how you're going to do it again? And th- those three things bring a crystal clarity that is really needed, I think, in sales enablement today. Good. You set up Tamara great for, I was going to ask her about it. Of course she agrees with clarity, don't you, Tamara? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe diamond clarity. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For those those who uh, get the joke, uh, Tamara's got a model about using a diamond, a diamond-shaped model in her book about uh, driving clarity. Um, So... uh, Josie, any any reactions to what your what your peers felt in, in my summary? Did that summarize where we are well? What stood out to me the most, Scott, in hearing from Mike and Tamara, is all of us um, being aligned around the need for a plan, the need for how do you execute, and then how do you account for the things you said you were going to do. And if I think back to one of the things that Tamara said said that stood out to me is it starts with understanding current state. So if you think about the first 90 days of anybody coming into a new role, those first 90 days should be spent uh, understanding what's working, what's not working, what 
uh, needs to be improved in any role. And then presenting those back to your stakeholders, getting buy-in on the plan, getting support for the things that you need to do to evolve and change the organization. Um, that's a hard thing to do. And it takes a lot of experience and skill to do that. And so um, that's really what stands out the most to me is that the understanding that some people get that and some people don't. Some people know how to build that business plan and some people don't. And so where do you take it from here? Excellent. So that sets us up for our third and final question. What do you see as the future of sales enablement from here? Now, before that, before we get into, you know, sort of asking our panelists to take out their crystal balls and soothsay, what I do want to do is, Josie, you brought up a great point about where we are today. And I want to share, uh, I've, I've condensed a few themes from other interviews that may or may not include interviews from, from this. I've had uh, 15 interviews so far. I'm going to share two observations here as in terms of current state. One observation is one of the key, um, one of the key deliverables of sales enablement is professional development and sales enablement doesn't prioritize professional development. Is it any wonder why they have difficulty in explaining or articulating the value of what they do to their executive leadership? How do you guys react to that statement? And I'll share another one before we get into, in other words, we can't have a conversation about the future unless we know where we are today. So Scott, I'll jump in and give you my thought on that. I was recently uh, listening to an interview that a sales leader was um, giving on his team and how he develops his team. And one of the things that he said is, you know, when we're young and we play a sport, we put 10 to 20 hours a week of practice time into building out the skills to be good at that sport and becoming really good and advanced in the sport. Yet we go into our professional life, and especially in sales, we don't con continue that discipline. When you think about a sales enablement leader, most people go into sales enablement without a background in sales enablement, um, sometimes with a very light background in sales. And so it's going to take even more than 10 to 20 hours a week of learning to become good at that skill. And so when I hear you talk about professional development, it's on both sides. I can't develop salespeople unless I really, really understand the day in the life of that salesperson from real world experience. And then what am I doing in developing my skills to be a really good sales enablement leader? So that's what stands out to me. The, the, the context from some others, and I'll, I'll let Mike or, or Tamara comment if they want, was um, how, can, how can the people who are running these departments justify the investments required if they don't prioritize the thing, the service that they're providing the rest of the company, you know, themselves. So, uh, you know, Tamara or Mike, do you want to comment on, on, on that observation about sort of a where are we here before we get to where we want to, what, what the future looks like? Yeah, well, sure, I can I'll okay. go first, Tamara, Mike. Go, first. go ahead, Tamara. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it's a common... Um, problem you you just described on, on on what you learned from from these conversations um 
And it, in my experience, what I learned, it comes from jumping too quick on, we need to do this, we need to do that. Um, I know this program works or that works because it worked elsewhere. So that means there is a lot of focus on getting activities done that are in some person's checklist or not, uh, but not having laid out a strategy. And that comes back to what also Josie said earlier, we need to really assess the current state and that's different in every organization. So whether you run assessments or however you do that, we really have to understand this clearly, then lay out a strategy, connect to the strategic objectives and then map out a plan. And it brings us back to the talent question, which is this this is a very specific talent I need in such a role. I don't learn it coming from sales. I don't have all these skills coming from sales management or from an L&D role because the combination of this, I'm here to serve others and I'm here to help others and I want to do this the best way possible combined with the system thinking and the orchestrating capability to do it is a very rare skill and I completely agree it's not built and it's not developed so that's the talent that has to be built itself. So I think you're, you're that's great feedback I think you're getting into the point the second observation that I want to bring up and I know um, Mike you'll be able to comment on either. Uh, the other observation was uh, you cannot run an effective sales enablement organization unless you are a systems thinker. So I like kind of these bold statements here to give us something to react to. Uh, I think that's more the spirit of where you were coming from, right, Tamara? Yep. Okay. So, Mike, Where's you can respond to either one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, choices, choices. So, um, I have a favorite quote, right, that advice on how to figure out what to do is better than advice about what to do. And I think that's a, a theme that I, I keep hearing here. And, you know, I'm also a fan of current state and future state, right, desired future state, which Josie's brought up a few times, right, being able to map out that sort of thing. And I think the element of systems thinking comes in here because even with the professional development theme, look at all of the things that in order to be effective that a sales enablement leader needs to not necessarily be able to do themselves, but to understand demand generation, marketing, messaging, how people learn and how to structure training and development and how to chunk sequence and layer massive amounts of content and over, you know, structure it over time with spaced repetition and all the geeky instructional systems design thinking things to help people learn. Um, then how to to sew together a Franken stack of tools from various places, right, to be able to support the sales force in executing the things that they need to do well. Right? When you think about that thing, those things, right, you're starting to think in terms of systems, right? How do, how do all of these moving parts align to create a larger whole that moves you forward? And for years, right, I have uh, thought in terms of how do you create a hiring system, an onboarding and training and development and coaching systems, um, how do you create a, a management system and some type of sales management operating system or a cadence, you know, and how do you string all of those things together and make sure that just like a car, right? Um, if if the engine or the isn't working right, or only four of eight spark plugs are firing, or if the drivetrain 
isn't working or if the electrical system is misfiring. If you don't get all of those things fixed and in alignment, car is not going to operate very well. And in an organization, it's a highly complex system, right? And yet, you know, we think that we're just going to go in and run a couple of initiatives and suddenly move the needle. And it doesn't work that way because we're, we have different people pulling in different directions or we're not putting the right people on the right seats in the bus to train them and then support them with tools. And so sometimes no matter what you do, you're not going to get maximum results. You have to start thinking in terms of these various systems, how you'll get them in alignment, and then how they're going to help move you from your current state to your future state. So that's what's bouncing around in my head as I'm hearing gotcha. this conversation, yeah. Scott. So what I want to do then is I, I, I want to give each of you guys your platform, your crystal ball to, to, to set the, what, what the future sales enablement is here. But for our audience, here's a summary of what we just heard. We heard that a big component of your business within a business, like one of the major deliverables or major product lines is professional development. And by not uh, embracing or prioritizing professional development, it looks like you yourself as a, as a sales enablement head don't value it. So how would you be able to defend it in budget cuts? The second thing that we heard is in order to manage all of the variables, get clarity on what kind of business that you're in, to be able to produce the kind or communicate the results to the people who are investing you. And then to, to, you know, Josie's number one, which was the managing all the different customers of it. You have to think more non-linearly and more systems thinking. So that's really sort of a, a foundation. I think all of our panelists share now with that, that context, what I'd love to do is as that is your platform, Tamara, where do you see is the future of sales enablement from here, 2020, moving forward? Yeah, so I would like to say in 10 years from now on that this decade was the decade of enablement in a broader context, if you call it enterprise enablement or, or commercial enablement or something like that, or we keep it sales enablement. So the term really doesn't matter so much as some people think, because by debating about the term we don't solve the problem. I just want to say, don't focus yourself on the term if you have a better one. It's, it's more important what the problem we solve. Now we have COVID-19 uh, that is all, is all hitting us hard, but we also have the evidence of the last couple of years and in a research, I mean, Scott, you have done what I've done in the past and so on. So we already know that in the last couple of years, only one quarter up to one third of organizations with sales and AM were really able to meet their stakeholders' objectives and to really move the performance needle. So that was already alarming the last couple of years. It wasn't heard because the economy was growing and people could make their numbers and then, okay, I made my numbers, so what? So now the problem is bigger than before because if I don't move the needle, everyone will say, okay, what, what are you guys doing here? So it, it comes back to what we said earlier, we, we really need this, this charter, this connection to, to strategic goals. Now, we not only have um, COVID-19, what it actually does, it's pushing um, the transformation, the digital transformation, probably by times five. Yeah, so it is more important than ever to get the digital transformation right. And it, it doesn't start with sales enablement, it starts with a company-wide initiative. So sales enablement 
um, has a big role in that because it should actually drive as an engine the tr digital transformation for everything that's customer focused. So, and that also brings us to the point that we should get rid of the different functions we have from marketing to sales to service. This is just one flow along the customer's journey, we have to get right. There are different stages we have to look at. We need a consistent messaging. We need consistent tools and, um, and help along this entire journey. We really should have this, this bigger perspective on it. And that again brings us back to the discussion we just had. I need people in that role that can understand a bigger system, that understand that there are a lot of dimensions going on and I cannot reduce complexity, which means I cannot take a customer dimension away or um, a marketing or messaging dimension away. They are simply here. I have to navigate them. And that means for people in a sales enablement role, there's a lot of orchestrating efforts there. There's a lot of system thinking effort really needed. And to make it simple, for our audience, it's first of all hard for ourselves to get that right. I think that's very often overlooked and that's not articulated very well, which makes us hard to justify what we're actually doing when it comes to then to our shareholders. And then what we already said, and this whole circumstance really requires a lot of development for people in that role themselves. Okay, so if I were to summarize what I heard, uh, I heard that in the world according to Tamar, the that this next decade could be the decade of business enablement, provided that one, whoever is in this role leans into, embraces, and understands the complexity, embraces systems thinking, and unlocks it. Two is that they realize that they are an orchestration role to bring the sum of the parts to make them better than the whole. And that three, in order to do that, a lot of work needs to be done to develop these, these skills because they're new. Because frankly, we're in a digital economy right now. And that's really the crux of, of, of what we're dealing with here is a digital transformation of business. Is that fair? Absolutely. Perfectly summarized. That's what I do, right? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, how about you, Josie? Uh, the, what is the future of sales enablement for you? It's such a great question, Scott. So, you know, before I think about what the future of sales enablement is, I need to look at what the future of sales is. You know, at any, at any time outside of a crisis, we have challenges in sales. We have greater than 50% of a typical sales organization not making their numbers, and that's in a good economy. We have people that are mishired for roles and they're mishired for roles because we don't define the criteria for the specific role in a given territory before we go out and look for a candidate. So with all of those things that are misaligned from the beginning when it comes to a sales professional, it's very challenging then to try to put a function like sales enablement on top of it and think it's going to be effective. So I would think in order for the role itself to be effective, for the function to be effective within a company, we have to go all the way back to selling within any given sales organization and start fixing those key areas that drive performance and then put the enablement wrapper around it to make sure that we're enabling people at the right time with the right conversation to effectively move a deal forward in the process, that we are teaching people the 
things they need to learn for the role that they're they're in, whether that's a hunting role or it's a farming role, we have to clearly know that. And unless you do that as a sales organization, you can't expect your sales enablement people to be able to support you in the right way because it hasn't been defined. Okay, so here's my attempt to uh, summarize what I heard. Ready? Yes. Okay, so there's a... There's a saying about, uh, that I really like about productivity, is productivity is really the answer to these two questions. Question one, are we doing the right things? Question two, are we doing things right? What I'm hearing from you is that the future of sales enablement can be the department that asks both of those questions. And in order to do the are we doing the things right, we have to get clarity on for example, what kind of salespeople are we building? Are we just hiring people who've uh, met quota somewhere else? Or do we want them to be in service of who our customers are? And of course, there's many questions underneath that. And in order to be able to balance both of those things, somebody's got to have the seat at the table to be able to influence and ask the management, the executive leadership, are we doing the right things? And challenge maybe conventional wisdom or uh, the way things have always always done. And then secondly, to be able to have the support infrastructure to constantly ask, are we doing things right rather than just trying to buy best practices off the shelf from somewhere? That's a great summary. That's a great summary. I'm two for two. You're, uh, you're up next, Mike. I, I'm, I feel a lot of pressure. I want to make sure I get all of you guys' summaries right. Mike, bring out your crystal ball. Where do we see sales enablement going from here? I use a magic eight ball and it says reply hazy. Uh, <laughs> so so, you, so uh, you did a riff on Drucker there, right? Leadership is doing the right things. Management is doing things right. Um, I'm going to quote somebody else. I think it was Galileo who said, if I've seen further, it's because I've stood on the shoulder of giants. And we keep making stuff up in sales enablement like no one has ever done anything like this before. Yet you can get a degree in organization behavior. You can study organization development. You can get a certification in performance consulting. You can join the International Society of Performance Improvement and learn HPT, which is human performance technology. All of these things, and there's been a science of management for years, are about how do we get our organizations performing at a higher level. So I'd say we stop reinventing the wheel with chisels and hammers and go look at some of these other, uh, these other professions. Not all of them who have taken full root in organizations, unfortunately. I wish performance consulting, which was an outgrowth of training years ago, um, had really taken off. But there's some gems in there, and they all come back to the very things that we're talking about. First of all, it's some alignment, right? Who's our customer? What's the business? And letter to the shareholders are the things that we all had alignment on earlier. And those are things that start to get us pointed in the right direction. Then it's a move to sales performance consulting, right? Diagnose first, then prescribe. Better systems thinking to get things aligned. You know, maybe some more focus on sales management and how we execute against that. But it's all about really figuring out current state, desired future state. Does that sound like anything else that we do? What do we expect our salespeople to do when they go into a client? Discovery, right? Understand where they are impacts of where they are, where they want to go, right? You know, what are the challenges and opportunities they face? What are the impacts they're facing? What needs does that create? 
what outcomes do they want, and how would they prioritize those things? Why don't we take some of that insight about how we think people should sell and refocus it on sales enablement to help us do some of the very things that we want to do with the organization? Um, and I think I think that would be a huge step for us to be able to take and get people to do over the next couple of years, because no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the next COVID-19 is, no matter you know what situation we're facing, if we take that kind of an approach, we can figure out where we are, right, where we need to be, um, and, and forge a plan to help get there. And we can use all sorts of tools and science and statistics and other things to, to support that and get it to happen. But we need alignment about who, you know, who's our customer, what are we going to be doing, and what are the outcomes we want to produce for what stakeholders, and then you know, the ability to analyze, diagnose first, then prescribe to be able to get there. And if we just started to take that lens towards sales enablement, I don't care uh, to earlier comments what we call it almost at this point. Um, if we can get those type of things in place, support the business, and make a business impact, we've got a great future. Gotcha. So let me summarize what I've heard. Let, let's park the who's going to, what needs to happen for uh, those standards to emerge. We'll park that. That's a whole different uh, <laughs> different comment. But here's what I take away and here's, here's what I hear from you, Mike. And my headline for you is think globally, act locally. <laughs> and and <laughs> what I mean is, no, I don't think that... Uh, um, Mike Kunkel is advocating Al Gore's, you know, um, uh, global warming stance, but really it's just, it's just the issue of, look, we need to think in terms of professionals, we need to think and practice what we're preach. What are we asking our sellers to do? How much are we embracing how complex the selling world is and how much cross training are we asking salespeople do? We're asking them to be financial experts, we're asking them to learn time management skills. We're asking them to learn how to synthesize information. Some of us are introducing design thinking to them. Some of us are uh, introducing discovery. Some of them want. Some of us want salespeople to do be sophisticated ROI talents. All of these uh, technical experts. All of these different things. We want that expertise. That requires us as sales enablement leaders to be as equally cross trained. And I think Mike's observation is, how come we're not doing that? And then I think the second thing is, that's sort of the act globally, think globally. And then in terms of act locally, it's inside your individual company. What is the business contribution that you're doing right now? How well you're, you're doing it? And then harnessing these variables together, are you making that stew, if you will, that uh, satisfies the palate of your executive leadership? So those were those were sort of the themes that I heard for, uh, from you, Mike, in terms of the future sales at AMY. Are, are, are those well characterized or anything to add? You're on a streak, Scott. Done yes. well, thanks. This is perfect. I'm done. I'm turning it over to Brian now. I'm out. I'm not going to say another word. I find that hard to believe. Anybody else? Just kidding. <laughs> All right. So that was a rich conversation, you guys. I'm going to summarize the whole thing. So Scott, thanks so much for summarizing along the way. And uh, the first thing I'll say is, and you guys can answer this yes or no, but it seems like overall, you guys are all three very optimistic on the promise of sales enablement, right? Would you agree yes. with that? 
Yes. Yep. Tamara. Okay. So everybody's optimistic about the promise of sales enablement. I also know from individual conversations with all three of you that you are very passionate about seeing sales enablement succeed and you want sales enablement professionals to succeed, right? Absolutely. Yep. So a lot of your comments came, came out of, you know, synthesizing what sales enablement professionals said, right? That's what these questions were was what did you see in the data? So I'm going to summarize what you said, but we've already established your point of view about the overall profession and what you think about sales enablement professionals, but you're summarizing the data of what they said, what they said, right? So first of all, I would say that all three of you are are talking about a polarizing view that the profession, and we're talking about the profession in this data, the profession and the role is polarized. It's, It's either super tactical or super strategic. Um, and there's pockets in between. And uh, depending on who's answering, they're pretty sure uh, about their answer. So that's my first takeaway, is that it's polarized. The second one is, and I'll let you guys comment on this. So first it's, you're saying to, to us and to the listeners that the profession appears to be polarized when you read the data. The second one is, is that it's professionally dispersed, that there are pockets of people that are doing different things and they all have a different point of view. So I was going to use unfocused, but I don't think that's the case. I think what you're saying is people are focused, but in a dispersed fragmented way. So they, they have a fragment, they're passionate about their fragment, but when you're professionally polarized on top of it, now you're polarized and fragmented, which means in the last piece of this is what I'm hearing as a theme is that the profession is isolated. It's isolated into its own definitional view of however it's being polarized and dispersed, it's isolated there with an expectation of impact, which then leads to, so the first is it's polarized, it's dispersed, it's isolated, which means what I'm hearing between the tea leaves is that the impact is likely limited. That the impact that you guys are, are espousing in your, in your last question of the promise of sales enablement, the current view, for example, of it's a system when you have a dispersed and you're isolated and you're, and you're in a polarized spot, it's really hard to impact the system. And so I would say that you guys are saying that the current state of sales enablement is the impact to, is limited, that the sales enablement profession has a limited impact. So what do you guys think of that? And feel free to correct me. That's my, my takeaway of what you believe is in the data. So Brian, I would say that that's, true unless people are already doing some of the things that we've talked about, which some are. It's a bell curve. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, uh, I'd agree with that summary. And, you know, uh, Tamara can speak to the CSO work, right? But I remember seeing uh, some great work from CSO Insights talking about the the maturity levels of sales enablement and that at a formal maturity model level, uh, there were positive impacts on uh, on win rates uh, and quota attainment. And I've seen another study from Sales Enablement Pro showing that formal enablement with a charter had on the, those two metrics as well. So I think it's relatively proven that sales enablement can make an impact. It's just not making an impact if it's done uh, randomly polarized, dispersed, fragmented, and isolated, as you've pointed out. 
Thanks, Mike. Tamara, Josie, any, any comments on my summary? I could not agree more with what Mike just said. Um, it is a fragmented discipline today. It is a reactive discipline today. And in part, that's because of how sales operates. If you think about how sales operates, it's, it's running a quarterly business. It's a, it is a sprint to the end of the quarter, every single quarter. And when you get done, you sprint again to the next quarter. And you're doing that constantly. And so there's no time to slow down and do things right. And so as a sales leader, if um, we are always running really, really fast. We just need others around us to run that fast. And I think that's what causes us to just try to solve individual problems instead of taking the time to step back and define the strategy and the execution model and gain the support that we need so that we are executing in the right way. I think that's the biggest challenge that we have and that aligns to the summary that you just mentioned which was a summary of what I heard you guys say about the data, right? You're summarizing the data. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Tamara, your thoughts on my summary of your analysis. Yeah, it works for me. Works for me on a, on a high level to get the, the key points out. Absolutely works for me. And I mean, Mike already uh, quoted <laughs> research yeah. um, we had done in the last couple of years. It's really, I mean, it's in the data. It, it makes sense if it's done the right way. And, um, yeah, but what Scott and I did discussed in, in our call previously is what I see. There is not so much an intellectual gap that people don't understand how it should be done. It's that simply, they, you know, they are not able to do it in the environment they are operating in for a couple of reasons we discussed during this uh, during this podcast. Oh, that's right. And that's the gap where we, where we really have to focus on. Thanks a lot. So there you have it, Scott from the, uh, the, the, the synthesis here. And I'll also say for the listeners, the episodes that we just did on leadership couldn't be more timely. You know, as the anchor here, I'm not supposed to have an opinion, but I would suggest the, <laughs> the leadership uh, podcast that we just did could help you out if you're feeling like you want to take action. So Scott, that's the, that's the view from the field here on uh, my analysis. So that's back to you. Thank you. And we're going to wrap up this session uh, practicing a little bit what we preach. We have moments to learn every single time. What's one thing that you've learned? And let's see, we started with Josie to begin with. So we'll start with you, Josie. What's, what's something that you learned? Uh, the value and importance of looking at are we doing the right things and are we doing the, uh, those things right? Excellent. Mike. I think it's that uh, I am not alone, right? Because sometimes it's easy to feel like a lone voice talking about some of these things when there isn't a lot of alignment elsewhere. And I learned that, uh, that amongst the group that we've got here today, there is tremendous alignment. And it's the same kind of alignment that sales enablement leaders should be seeking to, to garner and foster in their organizations. And if we start there, we have a much greater chance of success. Excellent. And Tamara? We have clarity on the challenges. Now it's up to getting things right. Perfect. So with that, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I, again, if, if you're a Insider Nation uh, member, 
I can't stress enough how impressed I think you should be by the feedback from uh, our panelists. Look how thoughtful uh, they were. Look at the amount of expertise that they provided. They had open-ended questions. We had no prep beforehand. All this was fluid in the moment. You saw uh, people from different backgrounds. I don't know how often you guys talk with each other, uh, but it, it, it all came together really nicely because this is what happens when you have people who have lots of depth and expertise. And the reason that that can happen is because people, uh, have, when you see somebody who's got a lot of expertise, it's easy to respect where they're coming from. When you're just commenting, you know, just to comment, then it's easy to disagree because you're not really coming from a, su a substance of having been uh, painfully um, having to implement these things. I can guarantee you if we had a show of all the lessons learned through pain, uh, boy, that would be a very depressing show uh, for, for all of us. So thank you so much, uh, Josie, Mike, Tamara, for your participation. Insider Nation, I hope you uh, are able to listen to this with an open, maybe um, beginner's mind and, and, and sort through all this. There's a lot of synthesis information and then watch uh, as we do more of these, we'll be able to provide a collective viewpoint from different people of different perspectives about sales and A1 to help inform you. So think globally, act locally, and be prepared. And please go out and find a way to follow uh, our, our, our guests. And please thank them for their participation. I think you guys did a phenomenal job. And I think this is one of the best panels I've ever heard about in sales enablement. So. Thank you very much for your participation. And with that, we're gonna wrap up our show. Thank you very much, Insider Nation. Please uh, please subscribe, listen to some of the other shows. A lot of the topics have been covered. For example, Josie mentioned um, uh, who your customers. Brian and I had a show just on that. We've talked a lot about stakeholder management. We've had three or four shows just on stakeholder management. As always, give us your feedback. What's working, what's not working? What would you like to hear more of? And stay tuned, uh, mark your calendar on May 19th. Uh, we're having a webinar to share the findings of all of this work. I don't know what that answer is gonna be. I can't even write a, write a description for it, but we're mark putting, the, uh, putting the date in, or putting the date on the, on the calendar or working backwards from there. Thank you very much, and we're a wrap. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.